with another episode of the Talking Mariners podcast. Shannon Breyer, Curtis Rogers. You know what we're going to do, Curtis? I, th- I think we <laughs> should talk some baseball. Well then. You know, it's funny. We talked after our last podcast that uh, we were hopeful that we would be talking about some signings. And there is one. There's one. There is We've one. Got one. We do have one. We so we're not going to well, disappoint we anybody. Yeah. Um, there have been some organizational moves, and that is something that we could have gone into today. We certainly wanted to preview the winter meetings a little bit as they are set to begin on Sunday. But lo and behold, on the Brock and Salk show, causing all sorts of trouble, as they always do. You can never you can never let those guys uh, get away without supervision. Absolutely. They just they they stir things up and from what, six to ten AM every morning. Which is great because it gives us great topics. It's a good news uh, yesterday. Not that the other topics were not good. Uh, it really, uh, they rattled some cages with the interview that they had with Jerry DePoto on their weekly Jerry DePoto show that can be heard every Thursday morning at 830. And and I think there were some answers that were unexpected, but I also think that were kind of taken out of context or were better heard. Okay. And that I think, you know, it, it's worth throwing out there a little bit. Have you seen any good tweets today? I've seen quite a number of <laughs> tweets. Um, the majority of them... Expressing frustration, I think, with what Jerry DePoto had to say. Uh, and I think the majority of them, though, may not have heard the full context of his answers. But it, it does just what I have seen on social media and what you have seen on social media. Uh, there is a lot of hand wringing from people because this is the window, right? This They've made the playoffs a year ago. You want to build off of that and, and continue forward. And. Look, no one else has made a move yet in, in free agency. We saw Jose Abreu come off the board for Houston. Uh, that's probably been, what, the biggest name that's signed in terms of guys that have hit the market. We know Edwin Diaz yeah, I mean, they really the needed Mets. hitters, too. Yeah, they were really lacking in offense in Houston, especially uh, right-handed <laughs> the hitting right-hand with, the, side, yeah, with yes. that short porch out in left field. Yeah, I think we're going to dive in, obviously, to what Jerry DePoto had to say today uh, and kind of make sense of what he had to say and, and shed some more light into that. We are, and I'm also going to give some thoughts on, you know, everybody not seeing it as much. I think they're just going straight to panic without asking if it's time to panic. But this is the off season, and that's when you see that. Uh, I think that even if you don't see what you want to see, I think that there is a good chance that they're not going to be in much of a different position ultimately than if you did see it. And I'll get into and tell you that why when we get a little bit more into the conversation with Jerry DePoto. I think, I mean, there are all things we would love to see. And, For sure. Know, who, who wouldn't want the greatest players in the world? Who doesn't want a pony under their Christmas tree? Um, and if you don't want a real pony, you shouldn't be doing this podcast with me. Well, because, well. I mean... <laughs> The Rogers family doesn't have the yard for it, but I'm sure young Willow Rogers, Willow 18 will, months old. She'll figure it out. Yeah, she she will, will figure it she'll out. She'll ask for a pony one day. We'll take a look at where the Mariners are and what's important right now after we kind of go through all of this. And hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we see what we want to see. And if we don't, hopefully there's kind of an understanding of what you can have versus what you need, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, I think... Before we get into DePoto's comments here, it's interesting because a year ago, basically a year ago today was the start of the lockout. And leading up to that, there was a flurry of free agent moves. And I think people are kind of wondering why that isn't the case this year. Well, 
there's no deadline to get people signed by it now. And I think that was a big reason why guys like Marcus Semyon and Corey Seager and Robbie Ray and other names came off the board so early in free agency last year is the league shut down at this point in the offseason. That's not the case this year. We're going into the winter meetings in, in a couple of days. And I wonder, Shannon, is, is that a big reason why we haven't seen a whole lot of movement in, in free agency is because there just isn't that urgency right now? There isn't. There have been some years, uh, particularly like in the last 10, where things really got going in the GM meetings, and that's where groundwork was laid, and you actually saw deals going into the winter meetings, and then the winter meetings would be a little bit quieter. It's no longer, you know, just historically before the advent of Zoom and and just all of the, you know, cell phones, things like that, this was the best place to get things to done because physically you had everybody in one place you could facilitate that you obviously don't need that anymore you've got you know you can get a hold of anybody at any time you don't need to do these things in person and the Mariners are kind of handling it in a different way and it's something that I want to get into a little bit more when I had the opportunity to talk to some key players but you know it's no longer even just the general manager who is making the deals they're they're using a real team approach and have been for some time like Justin Hollander named GM recently he's been making deals for a few years years now this is nothing new to him they've got others that are doing that as well and and it's it's a kind of a different approach which I think when it comes to Mariners doing things differently under Jerry DePoto specifically in the last three years that's been a good thing they cast a wide net for the things and possibilities and definitely will think and do things out of the box and are having more success with that than perhaps at the beginning when Jerry first signed on so the winter meetings, it's it's kind of more of an opportunity, but it's not the they've got to get done right now. And the week before, there have been weeks where you've seen quite a bit. We're not seeing that now. So it is a little bit different. And this year's market is a little different in that last year, I think, and I haven't really looked at all of the names, but if I think of last year, I think of the 2021 offseason as the offseason of Scott Boris. He kind of ran that show. Yeah. And it's not, you know, you've got the big four shortstops this year. He's only got one of them. So it's a little bit different um, in, in that regard. I think every offseason is a little bit different. This one, I think I would term as slow. That could change in the next 48 hours. We'll see. For sure. Yeah, we've seen a couple of, I think Buster only mentioned earlier today that the secondary market for relievers was going to pick up here over the next couple of days. Obviously, the Mariners have always been interested in relief help. Uh, we're we're going to talk about their addition of Trevor Gott uh, from a couple of days ago, what that kind of means for the bullpen going forward. But hopefully we see some movement over the next couple of days because uh, it it's a lot more fun to talk about things that have actually happened than kind of speculate and, and just kind of gaze into the crystal ball and be like, oh, maybe this will happen. Hopefully this will happen. I I love this portion of the offseason just because of the randomness that, that can happen. And speaking of randomness, like, yes, there I think is a, a frustration amongst a lot of teams fans that, hey, why haven't we made a move yet? But last year when the Mariners signed Robbie Ray, that kind of came out of nowhere. Like, that was a name that hardly anybody was really uh, – pinpointing as a target for the Mariners, right? I I never saw Robbie Ray linked to the Mariners until the news hit. Right, and Robbie Ray targeted the Mariners. Yeah. <laughs> it was more 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 that than anything else. And that actually I believe we are recording this on a Thursday afternoon with no snowflakes falling. Definitely be keeping an Thankfully. eye on that to make sure that we can get home and we don't end up doing the twenty four hour podcast. <laughs> a year ago yesterday, I believe is when that deal was done. Yeah. So I mean that's where we are right now. 
But uh, the needs are the same. The last time we did one of these is right before the Mariners, so they're not quite the same because the Mariners picked up Teoscar Hernandez. And not going to go too into that. If you, you want more on that, there's all sorts of content on seattlesports.com about that signing, different interviews, different thoughts from the host and whatnot. But the, the main thing for me was you have filled a major need with that, in, uh, and that gives you flexibility. But um, it, this isn't like a year ago when they signed Adam Frazier around the same time, or they, they traded for Adam Frazier, and that gave them flexibility and that Frazier could play second base or he could play the outfield and they could still go for that big shortstop. Uh, with Teoscar, you're putting him in the outfield, and he is yeah. going to be a presence, a much-needed presence in that lineup. So it, it was a, a very nice first strike, somewhat anticipated. You heard buzz about that, uh, you know, in the postseason and that this seemed like a good fit, and the Blue Jays are probably going to be looking to try and find a left-handed bat and, and move on there. And, you know, it's nice. It's going to be fun to watch him hit bombs. I actually kind of tried to sync up Zanino's furthest home run to left field oh, and the then Safeco field and uh, a couple of bombs that uh, Teoscar had to figure out. Could he hit one out? It looks like he might be able to Boy. hit one out, which is just an absolute total waste of time. I mean, how useless is that? But I want to see it. But uh, safe to say we should see some Zunino-esque home runs from I'm him. I'm looking forward to it. That, everybody loves bombs. They, they love bombs that get hit a long way. If you could hit one... I think, what was it, Kyle Schwarber in the world, or the NLCS, he put one up in the second deck in Petco Park. Like, those <laughs> kinds of moments are the ones that get me to just kind of stand still and just my mouth drops open and I'm just in complete awe. That kind of power, uh, it does not grow on trees. And if Teoscar Hernandez can, can go to places where few have gone before at T-Mobile Park, uh, I think everybody's going to love watching this guy hit. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun, and that opens up, well, what's going to be in front of him? I think I gave you homework on that. And who you did. I, did you do it? I did. I did do it. Uh, the homework you gave me, and you also gave Brent Stecker, but Brent's not on this podcast. I mean, we could just yell at him down the hall, but uh, it was who do you want to have hit leadoff for the Mariners in 2022 because you would – just traditionally a bat like Julio Rodriguez has been a little further down in the lineup, whether it be number two, number three, number four, sort of in that range. But last year he was very successful out of the leadoff spot. Uh, the Mariners offense was productive with him there. Uh, he set, I believe a Mariners franchise record for leadoff home runs in a season. The first time he ever hit leadoff. And he, I think, did he not start hitting leadoff until about June? Yeah, it was pretty late. Yeah. So the, the fact that he was able to to have the production that he did out of that spot that late into the season was impressive. But who do we want to have hit leadoff in 2022 for the Mariners? There's plenty of options. Uh, my my answer to this, uh, Shannon, I've got two answers for you, unfortunately, uh, which is when you have two answers, you don't have one. Uh <laughs> 99% yeah, of the time. Exactly. So, <laughs> in a absolute perfect world where we have achieved world peace and hunger has been cured and no one goes to sleep without a roof over their head, I think Jesse Winker could be the leadoff hitter. Because if you look at his numbers in Cincinnati, hitting out of the leadoff spot, he has been more productive in that spot than anywhere else in the lineup. Jesse Winker, 
yes, he has plenty of question marks about him uh, going into the 2023 season and also considering, you know, the lack of production that he had uh, in 2022. And we have also heard uh, plenty about him in the clubhouse, plenty about him, uh, you know, with this Mariners organization. But in his career batting leadoff where he has batted more often than any other spot in the lineup, He's got a 280 batting average, a 374 on base, 482 slugging, an 856 OPS, 24 home runs. I mean, if that's the Jesse Winker that the Mariners traded for, that would be the most ideal person to have batting leadoff. And we have seen in baseball recently teams sort of shy away from the traditional leadoff hitter. I remember the Cubs, they would put Anthony Rizzo in the leadoff spot. They'd put Kyle Schwarber in the leadoff spot, two guys that were very high on base guys. Um, That was something that Winker was still able to do this last season despite not really swinging the bat all that well is he still was able to work a lot of walks. He was still able to get on base at a pretty good clip. Uh, But the caveat being in an absolute perfect world, which I don't know if it's capable of getting to that point again with Winker, just – seeing how much he bottomed out, and also the injuries that he's coming back from. What is it, neck surgery and back surgery or shoulder surgery? Uh, Knee and neck. Knee and neck surgery, which when you're swinging a bat, those are two vital portions of your body that you need. But he wasn't swinging the bat. He was was doing his best Shannon Dreyer imitation I've ever seen. (laughs) Nobody walked like me until I saw Jesse Winker this year. In a perfect world. Yes, that is good perfect world thinking. I would also think in the perfect world he'd probably only be doing that against right-handed pitching. So outside of that world, if we do choose to move Julio down in the lineup, I think I'm I'm comfortable with J.P. Crawford hitting based off of the 2021 season that he had, which I think he's also capable of getting back to, that is the in-house option I would be most comfortable with hitting leadoff right now. Okay. Now, if they do, I'll go out and get one of these shortstops, which I don't think right now seems super likely. Then we revisit this conversation because I think Trey Turner is somebody that is built to be at the top. Dansby Swanson. Yeah, same. Right, right. Yeah. Now, I would like to – I don't know that I would move Julio out if it's current personnel, uh-huh. although you've given me a lot to think about Yeah, right there. Um, the thing that scares me about Winker is that in his recovery, what is he able to do in the mm. offseason? He had a lot of work that he had to do and in we the offseason. We don't know when he's going to resume We don't know program. when he's resuming. We yeah. don't know exactly what the surgeries were. We don't know any of that. And I think he needed to devote – a full off season to go into work on a number of yes. things. So what is he able to do now on the flip side, maybe he's able to work a lot on strength and on the body in rehab. Sometimes, you know, maybe it's not a bad idea to put the bat down and, and focus uh, on some other things that he can do uh, while he is rehabbing and taking care of the, but we don't know. So that's got me nervous about if he does come back, is he behind the eight ball because he was out for, you know, at least got a lot of I mean, time to catch minimum up. on the on the knee. Even if he had minimal, like an arthroscopic surgery or something like that, he'd be talking four to six weeks. I yeah. would think right there. So I don't know. We're gonna have to wait and see right there. And on that note, I was really nervous with Cal Raleigh and the the twelfth man flag. Oh, 
uh, a gust thumb? of wind would take him? No, if, you oh. know, to, using that thumb to raise a flag. That's I didn't true. notice the brace was on it, uh, kind of on and off in the pictures throughout the day. I was like trying to figure out where is he with that. And you saw it sometimes and saw it, but he, he, he did just fine. I'm not worried about that thumb in, in truth. But um, these are things to keep in mind. Okay, well, just something that I think is interesting to kick around. I think ideally I understand why you hit Julio leadoff. Ideally, I'd love to have somebody that you can put that you have the confidence to put up there. Mm-hmm. And I know that, okay, well, maybe that's one at bat that he doesn't get. But how often is that going to happen? I'd just assume have somebody on. For him, but we'll see. That's something we will see as we get to the year. But we got to finish building this team right now. And as we mentioned on the morning show today, Jerry Depoto, 20 minutes of conversation with Brock and Salk. And these words perked a lot of ears and on Twitter a lot of response. And I think it's probably important not just to hear because what we did see in the response was just from specific tweets for the most part. Uh, not enough characters to get into what he said, the nuances of what he said, and kind of the context. So let's go ahead and take that opportunity right now. I know we've spent some time on this maybe the last few times we've spoken, but you, you I think, really helped un, helped me anyway understand what you guys, what your philosophy is with the the draft develop and trade team that you described yourself as. And, and you know, Brock and I were debating this a little bit earlier and hearing from some folks out there who hear that and what they hear is, so you're not interested in spending more money, that the organization doesn't want to spend. How, how, can you just take us through it again a little bit in a little bit more depth? How, do, how does that blend with the organization's payroll and ability to go out and bring in free agents? Well, some of it is about payroll, you know, like with each of the other 29 teams, we're working on a payroll budget. Ours might be different than the Yankees or the the Dodgers. And and that might be different than what some other smaller market teams deal with. We are generally a middle of the market, you know, franchise. You know, we, we tend to land right in the middle in terms of revenue, oftentimes in terms of payroll. And we have been able to at, at our, at our, top end we have been able to to work our way into top 10 payrolls pretty consistently during our our most competitive years or with the the big rosters you know one of the things and i I think i've mentioned this in weeks past one of the things that really gets lost in the wash right now with some of what we've done with extensions for guys like jp crawford and julio rodriguez and luis castillo you know, with some of the escalating player costs that we anticipate with the coming arbitration of guys like Logan Gilbert and George Kirby and Cal Raleigh, there's, we are very aware of what our future payrolls look like because the decisions you make today, and, and this, is, uh, this is more difficult for someone who's not looking more broadly, you know, the decisions you make today don't just affect your 2023 payroll. And, and you're not going to go from $115 million to $215 in, in a year because what winds up happening is two years from that point, you're at 315 <laughs> because the, the, the escalating costs really do start to start to pile up. Right now, we have more future commitments, 2024 and beyond, than all but two teams in baseball. So we have spent our money. We have built larger payrolls. We've just done it in a different way than maybe the, the front-facing uh, – the, the, the basic 2023 roster look might suggest. And, and that's where draft develop and trade comes in is that we are sometimes looking for shorter term bits who won't affect the 2026 payroll when all of this really starts to crest and you've got multiple players making 25 plus million dollars and you're trying to figure out how to build a team. 
So it's, it's all really a jigsaw puzzle of making sure that, that, that all the pieces fit. And as a result, your preference sometimes is on a shorter contract with, with you know, one or two year hits where you can fit players in and not grossly move your payroll three years down the road because we don't want to be in a situation where what we think are our foundational players, you know, like the Raleigh's, like the, the Logans and like the, the Curdies, we don't want to ever be in a situation where those guys are, don't fit for us. That's our team. That's our team, our foundational players. And when they set out to rebuild this, that was part of the plan, is that you keep your foundational players. Well, your foundational players get expensive. And uh, I think that, you know, nobody is ever going to say, uh, and, and Jerry's the first one, free agency is the last avenue that he is going to take. It's not necessarily about dollars. It quite often is because you can't choose exactly what you want. You can target anything you want on any team. doesn't mean you're going to get it, but you're a little bit more limited in free agency. Now, are there lots of players out there that could help? Yes. But are they fits? And when he's talking fits, that's when he is talking about budget and years and how those years and the prime of that player fits with what you have with the club. And I think that one of the things that people, when they saw the quotes of the tweet, uh, or they saw the tweets of the quotes, um, were kind of reacting to was when he said, we have spent our money, we have signed our players. I don't think that was finite. I don't think, you know, that's it, we're done, we've done. I think he was just pointing out that the thing that does get missed quite often is they have made significant commitments in years and dollars to key players on this team. Yeah, you're going to see Luis Castillo, Julio Rodriguez, Robbie Ray, just to name a few, in a Mariners uniform for at least the next couple of seasons. Who knows how, how those... Three to four, yeah. actually. Ray's the first one who's up, and he's yeah. up in 27. Yeah, and I think he has an out also after year three, potentially, in that deal. So, uh, you know, there isn't a super long commitment, a la Robinson Cano, uh to a lot of these guys outside of Julio Rodriguez who could potentially be up to, I think, what is it, 18 years is his deal could run up to if he does hit every single uh, marker, which, I mean, look, he probably could. He's been – he was incredible this last season. So uh, who knows where that might go. But you look at just kind of across Major League Baseball, Shannon, some of the best teams – and Luke Arkins, a prospect insider, pointed this out in his newsletter – uh, just kind of looking at some contending teams and how they've allocated their money and, and the return that they've got from them. Uh, they've got a lot of teams have gotten considerably more return in terms of prospects that have come up through their system and trades that they have done rather than in free agency. Uh, he spotlights the Dodgers who got uh, a war of about 40 this last season from homegrown and trade. Uh, compared to a war of 17.1 from guys they got in free agency. So that's just one example. The Astros got barely any contribution from free agents, a war of 3.2, whereas uh, guys that came up through their system or they acquired via trade were at 49 war, so a staggering number. Uh, And then the Braves, sort of similar to that. The Mariners also listed in in Luke's uh, newsletter, they had 4.2 this last season from free agency, 2.1 of those coming from Robbie Ray alone, uh, 1.6 coming from Paul Seawald, uh, and then 1.4 coming from Dylan Moore. So there was some obviously some negative war thrown in there, too, in terms of free agency. 
Um, but they got 31 war in terms of homegrown and trade. So there is a lot to be said about going the route that the Mariners are going because it seems like it's the route that most contending teams go. It is, but let's not forget that the Mariners actually have signed. I mean, Robbie Ray, they have signed the, that is the biggest free agent that Jerry DePoto has signed. And and so it's not, he's not going to stay away from that. Um, They signed what would have been a free agent, Luis Castillo. Yes, he traded for him, but he still had a say in whether he signed that Mm -hmm. or not. So, I mean, I kind of look at that. I look at Castillo a little bit different there. And he also talked about in moving forward, you know, you can't have, and I think he said multiples, not multiple $25 million players because a lot of teams do, but you can't have too many depending on where you are. They are a mid-market team in terms of Major League Baseball. You're fooling yourself if you are saying they are the Yankees or they are the Dodgers. They're going to have some constraints that those teams do not have. It doesn't mean that they can't sign big players. It doesn't mean that they can't spend. They have spent. You talked about being around the middle. And that's kind of where, you know, there were some when they were in the top 10, but you have to go back to like 2005, 2006, along those years. They've kind of been settling in. Uh, around 11 or 11, 12 before they broke this down. And something else that I would really, really like to point out, because a lot of people, well, you tore it down, you haven't spent anything in, you know, so many years. You haven't had payrolls, you know, multiple years and cutting things down. 2019, you had actually one of the bigger payrolls in baseball because it cost you a lot to get rid of the contracts and to kind of clear the decks there. And, And I think that people, when they are looking, at what they have done, 2019, the first year of the rebuild, they had the 11th highest payroll. So that wasn't a tear down. That wasn't a tear it to the studs type uh, output from them. So the two years where they really did, really did adjust the payroll were 20 and 21, and we'll see where 22 goes. Now, heading into the tear down, they had some competitive. They were 11th. They were 13th. Uh, they were up to one hundred and fifty-seven thousand dollars, and we one hundred one hundred and fifty-seven one hundred and fifty-seven million dollars. <laughs> and you hope that you know you you surpass that. You you've you know that is what in today's dollars is different in taking the step back. And yes, some dollars were saved. I don't think the dollars that people want to think were saved, um, but you expect them to exceed that, and. They're heading in that direction right now. So you hope you get there. But I, I think that when you look at when DePoto was talking about you can't have too many 25s, right now you have Robbie Ray and you have Luis Castillo who are earning about 24 to 25 through 2026. You've got two of them right now. Julio won't hit 20 until 26, and then he's 20 straight through. He's actually a pretty good deal, which helps. And... You know, there aren't a lot of clubs. There are clubs that have more, but in where the Mariners kind of spend, there aren't a lot that have much more than that. If you look at, um, you know, the Padres, they've got Machado and Musgrove at 30 and 20. You look at the Yankees, they've got Garrett Cole, 36, Stanton, 32, uh, Rizzo, 17, and uh, I would assume Judge at some point. The Angels are in just a mess. They are paying Anthony Rendon $38 million per year through 27. Mike Trout, 37 million per year through 27 the Dodgers have got two 20 plus players and Freeman and Betts at 24 and 25 but they've got a lot of like 18 19 the Mets 
and the Phillies. These are two clubs when everybody's pointing to, they're going to spend more. I'm not sure how they are going to spend more. The Phillies have got Harper at 27 per, Wheeler 23, uh, Real Muto at 24, and Schwarber at 20. Uh, Mets just added Diaz to everything. He's finally getting paid. So, you know, but those are different media markets. Those are different situations right there. I I don't know that you expect them to join that. That would be a tall ask this offseason for them to go from where they are in terms of payroll to the 200 plus million dollars. You're talking about adding probably what? three premier free agents if they're able to get them to sign on the dotted line, which, uh, as we know, here in Seattle, that's not something that happens every year. I don't know if it's ever really Well, and this is what the problem is. The problem is if you were to do that, and this is what Jerry was talking about, okay, you can do that right now. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're going to be looking at trading Logan Gilbert in a couple of years. Yeah. Well, to that point, I was thinking while we were talking about all that, there is a team in recent memory that brought up a young core, but then also added a ton in free agency at the same time, but their window was really short. It was a lot shorter than what I think a lot of people had anticipated considering the youth of that team at the time, and that was the Chicago Cubs, who in 2015 won 97 ballgames. Then they went out and signed John Lester, Jason Hayward, and Ben Zobrist to that 2016 World Series championship. Now, it ended in a World Series. It ended in breaking the curse of the Billy Goat. 108 years like I don't think any Cubs fan would ever you know take that back but by the time 2021 came around which was just five years later they were offloading Rizzo they were offloading Chris Bryant they were offloading uh Javi Baez and and every big name and I wonder Shannon if maybe the length of those deals that they handed out to Hayward and Lester and Zobrist maybe that kept them from being able to keep a lot of those guys longer uh, than what they were in a Cubs uniform for. Whereas here in Seattle, there is a young core. There is a core of Cal Raleigh. There's a core of George Kirby, of Logan Gilbert, of Julio. Right. I I wonder if the Cubs kind of serve as a cautionary tale to a lot of teams that, yes, it may be worth it to go for it in one year, but – look at the Astros where they've been just as they were competitive when the Cubs were going for it and they're still competitive six seven years later and I think that's the difference between doing whatever it takes to win now versus (laughs) like doing the smart thing and sustaining winning and I don't ever and I grew up a Cubs fan and I'm not as uh, if I get around it then you kind of feel it you can't help but feel it I'm not as tied into it but man, that hurt watching Anthony Rizzo get pulled, oh, yeah. and watching you know, and then even this year Kyle again, Schwarber yeah, Kyle Schwarber too. getting pulled two years ago, and this year Contreras and Hat believing that they were going to be. Yeah. I, do you want to go through that as Mariners fans three, four years from now? Do you want to see that with George Kirby? Do you want to see that with Logan Gilbert? Do you want to see that with Cal Raleigh? Uh, you know, do you want Julio Rodriguez not to be signed right now, and you to be trading him in his fifth or sixth year? I don't think that's what you want to see, and that is something that realistically they have to manage. But you can do it in a smart manner, as the Houston Astros did. I think what you are looking at right now is I think you have a team that would not mind spending, but they are a little bit more leery of down the road. And now is kind of the best time to do it because Julio's not expensive yet in this first contract. I mean, I'm not sneezing at $20 million, but (laughs) it's not 
thirty, and and these prices are going up pretty quickly right now. It's not what the angels have done. Um, I think that when you look, I think ideally, this team would love to have a situation that like Carlos Correa was in last year, on a one-year deal, or a or... three-year with an out. Or I think they would love to have that high AAV and creativity, but shorter. Like a Max Scherzer, too. Not, I don't know if I'm that crazy. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he was a, a shorter deal for the Mets. I think yeah. he signed a three-year I, I think deal. that is something that they would be more comfortable with if that is available to them. And I, I think that that is um, – I know Jerry DePoto did a MLB Network radio um, interview about three weeks ago, and Jim Bowden put it out there. And, oh, he says he's got all the resources he needs. But the very last thing he said was – Something along, if it's a fit, yeah, if it if, works if for us, fit, yeah. if it works for us. So, you know, there's always a little bit of an out. And I, I think that length might be what is causing the hesitation. I also know we are to the point of the off season right now where they should have a good feel. You know, they've checked in with everybody. And yeah, hearing his tone a little bit different today, I think it was very noncommittal up to this point, but today a little bit different. And, of course, there were the questions that kind of led in that direction, too. But hearing it today kind of makes me wonder, have they kind of gauged that maybe they really aren't in this? Maybe they would like to be in this, and be it maybe the player doesn't want to come here. Maybe their targets, maybe they know that right now. Yeah, we so heard. they're starting to move on to plan B or prepare for plan B. Well, Jerry said uh, to the extent, basically, we have a better idea who of who's not on our list than who is on our list, which – kind of backs up your point of them kind of honing in on guys that they know they they're out on and sort of focusing their priorities on the guys that they know that they have a shot on, which I would hope that they have done their homework, which it sounds like they obviously have. Um, So maybe over the next course, maybe over the next month or so, we start to see uh, some guys signing here or, uh, or at least, you know, signing elsewhere because, uh, I would imagine the Mariners have a, a good idea of who they want at this point in the offseason. Well, they have many ideas. You know, this is <laughs> this is plan A, B, C, D, E, and F. And I, I think that Jerry actually kind of tipped a plan B or C at second base in the Teoscar Hernandez uh, press conference, after which was actually a, a phone call. But uh, really kind of perked my ears when he was Same. asked. Do you have that cut? Yes. Let me search <laughs> it here. But he was talking about how Dylan Moore is a critical piece of their infield. Right now, Demo is, is a pretty critical player to, to our infield mix as well. So it's, uh, it's tough to count on him for too much outfield time, uh, which was something that, that he did you know, bear a lot of the load, in, in, at least in his playing time in 2022. So. so that as much as what? That was two weeks ago, three weeks ago? That was uh, the 21st, and we're on the 1st, so about – 10, 11 days ago. 10, 11 days ago. Yeah. I think they already kind of had plans, and that to me was, you know, well, he played plenty of outfield last year. He's going to be at second base some or a good amount this year is what that said to me, or the possibility, or they're getting ready for that possibility. So I wasn't too surprised when you started to hear you know, all of a sudden, oh, there's some options in Tampa. Ken Rosenthal came out and people were kind of, what? A platoon second baseman? Which is, you know, unfortunate because – if you can get one of those shortstops, if you are going to spend the dollars, that's the position to do it right now because that is an area of need beyond this year. So that, to me, makes sense. But 
you know, maybe there has been a hiccup in that. And uh, I don't think it's just a case of dollars. But if they take care of everything that they need to take care of, if they are able to go out there and get another outfield, an outfield DH type, if they are able to get that platoon second baseman that is going to give them more production or even a full-time second base, there are other options. This is not, he was not saying this is going to happen, but that indicated that that is something that they have talked about. There are many ways to improve this club. And as, as great as it would be to have a superstar on this team, we talked about in the last one, home runs aren't the problem on this team. They were not the problem on this team this year. Uh, runners in scoring position were. Contact hitters were. That kind of uh, player was. Productive players were. The thing that I kind of try and when people kind of panic about all of this and I kind of go to as realistic a point as I can there's a very good chance if you go out there and you add one of these shortstops, you're still not going to win the American League West yeah. next year. The Astros are so good. Next year, you need to win four games against the Houston Astros. And those games aren't regular season games. No. You need to get in. That's something we learned this year. Get in. And now that the wild card series is a wild card series and not a game, I wouldn't be fretting too much about trying to win that series. Now, it's a shorter series with a new schedule, but I don't think I am building to beat the Astros in the regular season. No, you got to beat them in the playoffs. And as we saw in the playoffs, uh, you need to play 27 outs against them. Sometimes you need to play... Uh, 54 outs against them, as we saw in Game 3 Let's not do that again. of the Division Let's Series. Let's never do that again. Yeah. But I think a lot of things were learned in that. I, I think that they could have built a better playoff roster. Um, they certainly didn't utilize a lot of players on that roster. And, you know, looking at what Houston did with their pitching in the postseason, I, I think the Mariners could probably kind of take a page from that book, too, and anybody that you have on that playoff roster, you, you darn well better be using them. And they did some things in the postseason that they didn't do in the regular season. You know, they didn't go to pinch hitters when they thought they would. They didn't didn't see as much Dylan Moore that I thought we would see. They did things very different. Of course, the bullpen. Oh, Eric Swanson. Um, all of a sudden, Andres Munoz pitches every day. I think that you put a little bit bigger of a focus on that. You just have to get there. And... If you're building off what you had last year, there are other ways to do it. It's not just one superstar player. I think we talked baseball, Shannon. <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> I think we talked baseball. We said we were going to do that, and we did it. All right, so this leaves us right now. Uh, we are a couple of days away from the winter meetings. Jerry DePoto did, when he was talking about the second base picture, say that, um, what, their knowledge of this, he, he believed that the picture would become more vivid between now and the start of the winter meetings. Winter meetings start on Sunday, so who knows, maybe there could be a second baseman in the next couple of days or just a more vivid picture, picture <laughs> of who that second baseman is. Uh, some things to watch, I, I added this in the notes section, but some things to watch for uh, away from the player movement at the meetings is the first uh, draft lottery in MLB will be held on Tuesday. The Mariners will not be active in that because they were in the postseason last year, but something new in baseball. And, of course, there will be new Hall of Famers, or or not, 
uh, there will be a, the era committee selection on Sunday. So, and it, it's an interesting one. Everybody who didn't get in at the end last year, this is your steroid era players basically uh, perhaps could get in on Sunday and that will take place at uh, the winter meetings as well. And then uh, hopefully we, we see some sort of movement next week. Let's do it. Let's let's see some movement. I am ready, Shannon. All right. That is going to do it for us. And uh, if there is something big, we might sit down and do a half an hour on that. If not, I'm sure we'll talk to you uh, sometime late next week when it is all wrapped up. But for now, uh, thanks for tuning in, and we will chat with you soon.